It is five o'clock in Salford. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show. I hope you've had a pleasant day. You might not have. It's all going a bit mad. It's going a bit Pete Tong, as they say in certain parts of this country. But your luck will try and sift through the detritus in the next couple of hours and get to the bottom of some of it. I've got two very special guests for you today. Welcome to your Richie Allen show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Dr. Paul Thomas is a medical doctor in Oregon, and he's very well known and very well respected is Paul. But he was suspended by the Oregon Medical Board last December. That's a 2020 They said because he was giving misinformation about vaccines to parents. In reality, it was because Paul published a study in the peer-reviewed International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And the study found that vaccinated children had more sick visits and illness than those children who never had a jab at all. This is huge. I had a chat with Paul this morning. Sounds like a lovely guy. He'll join us this hour for a chat. And coming up in the second hour, you do not want to miss this. My great friend, uh, Jackie Devoy, terrific journalist. She has fronted a brand new documentary movie called A Good Death? That premieres this coming Sunday on Iconic.com. On Sunday the 5th, you'll be able to watch it free of charge all day on Sunday, December 5th. A Good Death, A Story of Euthanasia in the Care Industry. Jackie Devoy, The Midazolam Scandal. We talked about that on this programme in great detail with Jackie. There is a film now. It might very well be the most important film you see this year. This, year, this is happening again. Or any other year, excuse me. Yes, a bit of dead air there. Hang on. Excuse me. Yeah, yes, this blooming thing that I've been dealing with for weeks and weeks. Anywho, Dr. Paul Thomas, Jackie Devoy promises to be a very interesting programme. You can reach out to me via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. I'm sure you'll have your opinions. I'm sure you will have plenty to say. I will read them as we go along, as per usual. Now... The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been speaking at Westminster, excuse me, he's been speaking from Downing Street alongside the Health Secretary Sajid Javid. And they have said that the booster campaign will go on steroids, that no no stone will be left unturned in the efforts to get all adults booster jabbed by the end of next January. Would you like to hear a little bit of Johnson? No? Well, it is important, at least so we can dissect it anyway. Here's Johnson speaking a very short time ago about the booster programme. This, of course, is they're putting special emphasis on it based on the Omicron, or Omicron, Omicron variant, which they're attempting to scare people. 
with here he is johnson we want to ramp up capacity across the whole united kingdom to the levels we achieved in the previous vaccination effort we're going to be throwing everything at it in order to ensure that everyone eligible is offered that booster in as i say just over two months across england we'll have more than 1500 community pharmacy sites vaccinating people near where you live all of our sites will increase their capacity and will stand up extra hospital hubs on top of those already active there'll be temporary vaccination centers popping up like christmas trees like christmas trees and will deploy at least 400 military personnel to assist the efforts of our nhs alongside of course the fantastic jabs army of volunteers keep that in mind though the army because there's more to the army than he's letting on. I know the frustration that we all feel with this Omicron variant, the sense of, uh, of uh, exhaustion that we could be going through all this all over again. But today, I want to stress this, uh, today, that's the, that's the wrong thing to feel because today our position is and always will be immeasurably better than it was a year ago. What we're doing is taking some proportionate precautionary measures while our scientists crack the Omicron code. Crack the Omicron code, eh? And... All these military references now, listen to them. While we get the added protection of those boosters into the arms of those who need them most. So we're going to get behind the men and women of our NHS who've saved so many lives on the front line and run... The front line. ...run our vaccination programme uh, for a year almost without a break, as they have, and who are going back into the breach yet again. Back into the breach yet again. And uh, I want to say, on behalf of the uh, entire country, a thank you to each and every one of them for their extraordinary efforts. How best can we thank them, Prime Minister? And the best way we can all show our gratitude is by doing our bit and stepping forward when our time comes <laughs> to get that booster. Yes, if you want to thank your local NHS staff, don't clap for them. Just get a jab. I've been waiting uh, patiently for, for my moment to come, and it's happening on Thursday, I'm pleased to say. Uh, so whenever your turn comes, get your booster and ask your friends and your family to do the same. Yeah, so Johnson's getting his booster on Thursday. Let's hope it isn't saline solution, eh? Let's hope. Oh, you're changing your tune, Paddy. Yes, I am. I have to maintain that. I must maintain that zen. I must maintain it. That I don't want any physical harm to come to these people. You can't be like them. Anyway, so that's Johnson. That was absolute nonsense. Abject nonsense. It was followed by a similar speech from Sajid Javid. The boosters, the boosters, the boosters. Gotta get the boosters in and so on. Now, he mentioned the army. Before he took to the lectern... Let's, uh, well, we heard from Sky News reporter Kate McCann. She's got a bit more information on what the army will be doing. There are lots of people in the younger age groups and, and many too in older age groups who are absolutely desperate to get a booster vaccine. They are very happy to come forward three months after their second jab and get that done. But there are others who are slightly more hesitant, harder to reach. And I think that's where the army is going to come in, potentially to try and reach out to some of those groups who don't see it as a priority, maybe think that two vaccinations is enough and that they don't really need a booster vaccination. That actually is the government's main aim here. It's about Wow, so the army are being brought in 
not just to help with the jabbing of people because they're short nurses and doctors, because there is a lack of nurses and doctors. No, the army is going to be, well, working with those who don't feel they need to have a booster. There are others who are slightly more hesitant, harder to reach, and I think that's where the army is going to come in. Wow! Potentially to try and reach out to some of those groups. It's turning into a real-life movie, isn't it, that we're all starring in. The army will become persuaders. The army will be deployed to reach those hardest to reach. The most stubborn of our brethren and sistren. Imagine that. Johnson didn't mention this 45 minutes after Kate McCann delivered that report on Sky. The army, eh? I kind of look forward to that as an Irishman. My people have been beating the Irish army for centuries. I look forward to the British army coming through Salford, trying to persuade me to have a jab. That'll be fun, that. Or maybe it won't. Maybe I'm just talking tough. <laughs> it might only take two or three of them to hold me down and stick it in me backside. If they don't do it there, they put it in your arm, don't they? It's getting very spooky. There may be trouble ahead. Yes, the booster. Do you have any idea if the uh, booster or if the regular jabs are any good against Omicron? No. And didn't you say you think it might Omicron might beat the jabs? Yes. So why are you asking everybody to get boosted? And why are you threatening them that if they don't, further stri restrictions will will inevitably follow. Why are you doing that? You and I both know, of course. By the way, do you see what the Greeks did, eh? The Greeks, I never liked them, the Greeks. The Greeks have only mandated the jabs for everybody over 60. Yes, the Greek Prime Minister said, oh, I, I really didn't want to do this, as if it was left up to him, eh? Eh? I didn't want to do this, but we've not had sufficient uh, vaccine uptake. So the over-60s will have to be jabbed by early next year. If they're not, they'll be fined repeatedly. Every month that they haven't rolled up their sleeves, they'll be fined. The tyranny is getting more tyrannical. There you are. Um, anyway, it's exactly ten and a half minutes past five. Now, let's have a listen to this. Let's have a listen to this. According to LBC Radio's James O'Brien, if you are an anti-vaxxer, there are only three possible destinations for you. Three possible routes or routes. Wait till you hear the ever mother-effing state of this from James O'Brien on LBC. Now, this is not coincidental that O'Brien is going after the anti-vaxxers on the day that the government and the army are going after the anti-vaxxers. This is a coordinated effort. Lockstep is a real thing. Look it up. Listen to O'Brien here. So what helps? I think what helps is just asking you where this road is going to lead. And the way that I ask you where this road is going to lead... Now, he's talking about if you're an anti-vaxxer and you don't want to take the COVID jabs, you will end up down one of three roads. This is what he's saying. Is this... What's the plan? What's the actual plan? Because you could end up being Piers Corbyn with a bunch of mates on a train singing about how wearing a mask is like trying to keep a fart in your trousers. Do you see that, by the way, Piers? Piers Corbyn and his band of merry men and women on a tube singing that song. I, I did see it today. 
Did you? What did you think of it? Anyway. If you haven't seen that clip yet and you are uh, possessed of a sense of humour, I'd just go and see it. It will cheer you up. I spent about half an hour yesterday watching it again and again and again. Half an hour? Showing it to the family because I just, I just was hypnotised by it. I couldn't stop laughing. It got fun. Jesus, the fun never stops in O'Brien's house, huh? He subjected the, his family to a half an hour's worth of Pierre Corbin, Piers Corbin singing. Wearing a mask is like trying to keep a fart in your underpants. Funnier and funnier and funnier. But that, It doesn't get funnier and funnier and funnier. It isn't funny to begin with. That's that's the road you're on. You're going to end up on a tube train with Piers Corbin ah. singing about how wearing a mask is like trying to keep right. a fart in your trousers. I won't use the F word again on the programme today because you might have the kids in the car. I will. You're a fuckwit. Now... What he's saying there is that if you're an anti-vaxxer, if you've got a problem with the vaccines, you're likely to end up on a train singing about farts and underpants with Piers Corbyn. That's route one. What's route two? Uh, imagine this, this, this passes as primetime talk radio. That would be destination one. Destination two... Destination two? ...is genuinely, and I have met these people, destination two with the vaccines is that it is all part of a plan by satanic paedophiles to keep their vile crimes secret. To who, who said that, by the way? Is there anybody on record as saying that the jab rollouts are all to cover the crimes of satanic paedophiles? If somebody of any note... Now, it can't, be, it can't just be some agent with five followers on, on BitChute. Has anybody with any clout actually said that the whole pa- scamdemic, because it is a scam, there's never been a pandemic. Has anybody actually said the reason for it is so that the satanic paedophiles can get away with their crimes? I don't think anybody has said that. Which you respond by saying, how does that work then? Well, who said it, though? How does that work? What, who said it? What is the plan? This stuff, Who said it? Name them. If you believe that he's not linked to the idea that you've got a better grasp of the science than the scientists. All right, we'll come back to that. It's not linked to the idea that you've got a better grasp of the science than the scientists. We'll come back to that. There's stuff you believe about why they're doing it, why they're exaggerating the need for a vaccine, or why they're exaggerating the virulence of COVID, or why they're telling you lies about how many people are ill or how many people are dead. Just keep asking, yeah, but why are they doing that? Yeah, and, and, and O'Brien knows that some incredibly learned men and women have given or proffered an answer to that question. This is the gaslighting that goes on. And O'Brien is just one. He's not the worst of them. He's not the best of them. This is what the media does. O'Brien knows about the Great Reset. He knows about the, about the World Economic Forum. He knows about the plans to utterly transform the way that human beings live and work and travel. He knows those plans exist. He has seen the same stuff that you have seen and I have seen. This is, this is the thing. It's got nothing to do with satanic paedophiles. Now, satanic paedophiles do exist. I'm convinced of it. I've interviewed the victims of it. I've interviewed child psychologists. I've interviewed hypnotherapists. But park that for a minute. There are people on the record... On the record, are saying that we've got to have a great reset. You'll be happy with nothing. There are people on the record are saying 
that climate lockdowns are a good idea. They're doing them in India at the moment. There are people on the record as saying that in the future you'll be taking jabs all the time to protect other people in society and to avoid going to hospital. So he knows this stuff. He knows there are answers out there as to why they're pushing a vaccine that nobody really needs to take. What, be like the most annoying 10-year-old child. Just keep, but why, Dad? Why? Why are they doing that? But, but you know the answer because you've been given the answer a thousand times. It's obvious now. Agenda 2020, Agenda 2030. Cashless society. A centralised digital currency where the operator, owner of that currency gets to set the rules for it. Bringing in a social credit system. This little fat bearded dickhead knows this stuff. He knows it. This is the funny thing. It's why I don't hate this guy. I don't hate any of them. He knows it, but it's his job to gaslight people and to say that if you're an anti-vaxxer, you only can be one of three things. A fool that follows Piers Corbin onto a tube train to sing a ridiculous song or somebody who believes that it's satanic paedophiles trying to cover up their crimes. And then he gives us a third option. And if you keep doing that, then you will end up either in a tube train with Piers Corbyn singing about flatulence or shouting about satanic paedophiles in the middle of Trafalgar Square. Or you will end up thinking, and this is probably the mildest of the three destinations, you will end up thinking that the... That, that dark... Yeah, shut up. So what's the third destination then? So dark forces in government and politics. I don't, I don't believe all that satanic paedophile nonsense. They're the real weirdos. I certainly am not going to send, end up singing about flatulence in a tube carriage on the district line with Piers Corbyn. Those are, those are the real nutters. But th- there are definitely dark forces in, in politics and business conspiring to create a panic, conspiring to create a false reality. So that's the third destination. You believe the dark forces politicians and corporate people are working together to exaggerate the threat of a virus for their own ends. With regard to vaccines and, to a lesser extent, masks. So, the, and, and this is a genuine question that you are welcome to ring in and answer. But you're not, though. You are not welcome to ring in and answer James O'Brien because they have four or five people taking phone calls. I know this. Did, have I tried to get on? No, I wouldn't belittle myself. I wouldn't demean myself. I'm used to speaking to 250 to 300,000 people at a time. I'm not going to drop my standards and speak with James O'Brien. My tongue is in my cheek now, right? Just in case you're wondering. Um, but I know of people who have done. Clever people. Well-spoken people. You can't get past the, the gatekeepers. You can't. You ring them up. Hello, LBC. Hi, I've just been listening to James O'Brien there. Yes, well, what, what's your point? Well, I'd like to get on with him for a minute, if possible. Yes, well, tell me what you're going to say first. No problem. Listen, has he heard of a guy called Klaus Schwab? Has he heard of another guy called George Soros? Has he heard of Agenda 2020, Agenda 2030? The, the Great Reset? Because there, there is an answer to his question, as, you know, his, his question as to why, 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 why would they do it? Well, I've got an answer for him. Thank you, we'll take your phone number and we'll try and get you on. But of course they do not try and get you on. This is how it works. I must be the last phone-in show in the world that doesn't screen the callers. There's, there's no screening, I just answer whichever one is next in the, in the queue, which is wonderful for me. 
I enjoy it. But uh, no, they, they, take, they go to great lengths to ensure you don't get on. Why are they doing that? Because those, as far as I can... Uh, he knows why they're doing it. ...can tell. Those are the three paths that you are going to end up on. You're going to end up with Piers Corbyn in a tube carriage singing about flatulence. You're going to end up shouting in Trafalgar Square about Nazis and satanic paedophiles. Or you're going to end up perhaps a little more calmly, claiming that, no, 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 there really is a conspiracy being undertaken by politicians from all countries, even the ones who outwardly hate each other, and big businesses uh, to get us to behave in certain ways. And then you have to say, why? Why? Why are they doing that? What is the plan? And if you can't get past those questions... If you can't answer why... Then you just go and get a vaccine. Go and get a vaccine, says James O'Brien. 21 minutes past five o'clock. It's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. The last man standing, Gilad Atzman said, about this programme. We'll see how long we're standing on the Richie Allen Show. Next year is going to be so interesting. It really is. The next couple of weeks with the online harms bill uh, maybe coming up for a vote in Parliament, maybe going to the Lord's these are these are dark, desperate times, but we're going to laugh our way through them. You and me are just going to giggle our bloody arses off as this unfolds in front of our eyes, because at the moment it doesn't look there's, like there's anything else that we can do other than laugh or tushes off. Our tushes. Now, Dr. Paul Thomas will be live on the line from Oregon in about three and a half minutes. Do not miss him. Don't miss him. Mark Morrison on The Richie Allen Show, 24 minutes past 5 o'clock, live from Salford, drive time with uh, with me, the BBG. Don't forget to comment on the programme through the website richieallen.co.uk. At the very top of the page, it says comment live, thousands of comments come in during the programmes. I'm looking forward to speaking with my first guest this afternoon. I chatted with him earlier on and he sounds like a lovely gentleman. He's been through the mill in the last 12 months. Now, many of you know who he is because of a book that he wrote, which we will talk about, but also uh, because of a study that he published last year about vaccinated children. His licence was suspended by the Oregon Medical Board December 3rd last year. They said he was giving misinformation to people about vaccines. In reality, it was because he published a study in the peer-reviewed Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. The data showed that vaccinated children had more visits to the, to the doctor and more problems with illness than unvaccinated children. Now, for a lot of people, that's bombshell information. But for me and you, that doesn't surprise us. We've heard this kind of thing before. I'm just going to welcome him to the programme. Let's say a big hello to Dr. Paul Thomas, MD. Paul, thank you so much for taking the call. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm 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 really doing well and while I'm delighted to have you on I'm genuinely distressed to be speaking to another doctor who who acts on his conscience and who tries to do the very best for the patients that he sees and yet gets targeted in the way that you've been targeted and I know you're bullish because I've watched videos of you online I've heard you do other interviews I know that you're You've got thick skin, but it can't be easy, Paul. You work hard all your life, you go to university, you try and do the best for your patients, and then you have a black mark like that against you. It must have been tough last year. 
Oh, yeah. This whole past year has been uh, quite a battle, and we're gearing up for a really big fight with the Oregon Medical Board. And so I'll have your listeners go to drpaulsfight.com. That's where I've got a a page where you can see what I'm all about. We've got a gives and go there. You can press press a prayer button, or if you want to support with financial, that'd be great. I've got to raise a quarter million to finish this battle. They've scheduled two weeks, and they are just weekly burying me with nonsense uh, complaints that I have to then, of course, respond to. And this has been my life for the past year. And you know, I, I this is interesting now because back in June, as far as if correct me if I'm wrong, but back in June. Didn't they say to you, Paul, go go ahead and practice medicine again, um, but don't uh, don't don't do any vaccinations or don't talk about vax about vaccines? Is that right? Because if that is true, that while it sounds good, that sounds like they're trying to bog you down with all with all sorts of work to 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 to, to double or triple your workload ahead of um, ahead of the legal battles. Yeah. Oh, this it's absolutely what the case this past Thanksgiving. So just this last weekend was Thanksgiving weekend right before I got a 20 page complaint within which were over 100 things I had to respond to. So that took about 20, 30 hours, well, 20, 25 hours over this past weekend. Uh, I get to work yesterday, Monday, and there are two new complaints. One is 24 pages long. The other is a shorter four page thing that I could deal with pretty easily but they've tipped their hand with that shorter one. So in 2017, I'll give your listeners a little history. 2016, I've been doing pediatrics for 30, 35 years. In 2016, I wrote the book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan. And it's not an anti-vax book. It's just saying, hey, here's some of the science you need to be aware of. There might be a better way than, for example, what the CDC is saying. And you're in the UK, so people know there are different schedules. There's no golden perfect schedule. Uh, So when that book came out, it put the target on me. They started coming after me. February of 2019, I get a letter from the board saying, prove that the vaccine-friendly plan is as safe as the CDC schedule. Oh, my goodness, I laughed. It's like the CDC's never proven that their schedule, which they change every year by adding something new, uh, is safer than the prior one or safer than doing nothing at all. Nevertheless, I thought, okay, I'm going to do a quality assurance program, look at every baby born into my practice, over 3,000 babies over the last 10 years who were born into this practice. And that created the data set that we de-identified and got published in a peer-reviewed journal that you mentioned at the top of our conversation here. Five days after that published article was available online, they yanked my license. Now, they forgot to yeah, they take your license and they forgot to levy any charges against me, which is illegal. So my attorney by the middle of June was able to allow them to reinstate my license. So you're correct about that. And you're absolutely right. They told me I could not see well children. I could not discuss vaccines nor direct anybody else in my office on the vaccine issue. So that brought us through June. But coming up on this Thanksgiving, They've really tipped their hand because in 2017, I started a nonprofit called FOI, the Pediatric Health Outcomes Initiative. So it's phoinitiative.org, and that was simply a registry. Enroll newborns in my practice and a, a couple other practices that are IRB approved, and we simply track their health outcomes for at that point. My goal was 20 years. I haven't raised enough money to do 20 years, so we're shifting it to 10. 
but it's a long-term prospective look at all health outcomes. We can compare it to vaccine status, to breastfeeding, to C-section, whatever we want to look at. It's just data. Well, in this most recent complaint that I got yesterday, they are inquiring about the Pediatric Health Outcomes Initiative, how interesting a medical board is concerned about data and research, and they're trying to shut it down. Somebody doesn't want people to hear that unvaccinated children have better outcomes in life than those who have the full schedule. That's what it comes down to. Now, you're obviously a bright man, Paul, so you can't be surprised at this level of targeting. Of course, they're going to come after you because at the very least, we're talking, we're not talking billions. Globally, we're talking trillions of dollars a year. Aren't yeah, we? we absolutely are. And, you know, I've been aware that they've been targeting children and profiting on the backs of children for the last 20 years, actually since the beginning of the vaccine program. I think with COVID now, adults are waking up that, oh my word, we're being targeted now. Well, wake up world. Yes, you are. And they've been doing this to children for decades. They have. And I, I, I only learned through doing this program that you've had mandates in the United States for, for many years that children can't go to, um, uh, we say primary school, obviously over here, but they can't go to school unless they've had their MMR jab and, and, and other jabs. And now we're seeing it around Europe. We're seeing the, the Austrians have said they, they plan to mandate the COVID jab. You might be aware of this, Paul. I know it's early there. But the Greek government announced today that from January, over 60s must have the jab. If they don't have it, they're going to be fined. This is getting very, very, very serious now. And I, I'm convinced that before too long, the UK government is going to attempt to mandate uh, COVID jabs for well for everybody as well at the moment we haven't gone as far here as you have in the, in the states they haven't okayed COVID jabs for five-year-olds and above just yet but I know they've done that in the uh, in the US Paul did you see this coming over the years this kind of thing uh, uh, we we've known for a while because many many years ago they had a wellness 2020 agenda that was published by the CDC and that spoke about vaccines from pregnancy to the grave. And so th that was part of their, quote, wellness agenda. Uh, and of course, if you know the science, the, the true science of vaccines, not the tobacco science that they publish that are studies sponsored by the makers of the vaccines, of course, they're going to publish stuff that shows them in a good light. But that's just tobacco science. They never look at true placebos, the unvaccinated. They never do long-term studies. They never compare the full schedule against unvaccinated. So, yes, I saw it coming, but I have to tell you, I did not imagine the magnitude that would become what COVID has become. I mean, they're taking us back to apartheid, back to slavery, uh, this whole notion of passports. My own state of Oregon, where I practice just this week, they're rolling out uh, very rapidly a electronic passport system that they're saying is, oh, it's going to be voluntary. Well, that's how it starts. And then pretty soon you can't move about, you can't get on airplanes, you can't go to, you know, sporting venues, or I know in some places like Israel, you can't go to restaurants. Um, lots, lots and lots happening around the world around this whole issue of massive coercion to take this jab that is clearly dangerous. I mean, there's nothing, it, 
it defies common sense why any doctor could who would look at the data of the negative outcomes from the COVID jab would recommend it. Paul, you're point. you're you're a doctor, right? So I've said this on on my program before. I've looked at the UK. We call it. I know you know this. We call it the yellow card reporting system. It's on the government website. You've got the VAERS system there. So coming from an MD, from a doctor, what has the data that you have seen, what does it tell you about the safety of this job or these jobs? Oh, my goodness. There, there's been nothing like this. I mean, the safety is non-existent and it's not comparable to anything we've ever seen before. I mean, if you look at openvares.org and you can see the, the, the amount of just deaths alone from the COVID jab exceeds all deaths since the beginning of recording 30 years ago from all other vaccines combined. We've now exceeded that with just the VAERS. I'm sorry, just the COVID jab. Just the COVID so, jab. Yeah, it, it, it's such a strong signal. It is unconscionable. I, don't, I just don't get it. What has happened to our public health officials who should be looking out for our health when in fact they seem to be the ones rolling out this deadly vaccine program? I might ask you for your opinion on why they're doing it in a moment. Dr. Paul Thomas is our guest. Folks, do me a favour. I want to check out you to check out a couple of websites, but go to drpaulsfight.com and check out what's been happening to Paul. That's drpaulsfight.com. And let me tell you this. Um, another doctor whose name I won't mention now, um, but a genuine uh, a general practitioner in, in Ireland, has read the vaccine-friendly plan by Dr. Paul Thomas and recommends it. Now, you can find that book online. If you have a child or if you've just had a child, if you've had a baby, first of all, God bless, well done, congratulations. But if you want to think about vaccines, it's a book you need to read, The Vaccine-Friendly Plan by Dr. Paul uh, Thomas. We'll talk a little bit little bit more about, about COVID. One of the things that strikes me, Paul, is it seems that quite a lot of athletes soccer players, it seems to be soccer players quite a bit, and other athletes are having collapse-type events during training or during games. And I don't know if you know this, but a couple of famous ex-soccer stars have tried to raise this point on national radio here in the UK. And my God, Paul, they've been shut down at the speed of light. You know, there's nothing to see here. Uh, It's all a coincidence, but it can't be a coincidence. Surely the common denominator in all of these collapses is the jab rollout, or am I just a silly conspiracy theorist? (laughs) No, there is absolute truth in what you're saying. So there was a study published that looked at for young people in the United States, and we're talking about, at this point, it was teenagers who were first authorized to get the jab. And your chance of hospitalization is four to six times greater, 400 to 600% greater if you got the jab that we're talking just hospitalization from myocarditis, that's that inflammation of the heart, then your chance of hospitalization from getting COVID illness itself. So the entire illness versus just this one complication putting you in the hospital and you're six, four to six times more likely to be hospitalized. This I, I've been a busy, I'm talking crazy busy pediatrician with 10 to 15,000 patients any given year for the last almost 30 years. I have never, not once, had a child hospitalized for myocarditis until this year when one of my teenagers went to a pharmacy because you can just get your COVID vaccine practically anywhere. You don't have to go to your doctor's office. So one of my kids gets that jab 
ends up hospitalized for myocarditis. I've never seen a case in 30 years. What does that tell you? Of course, that's just coincidence. Well, I would say the COVID jab is the number one cause of coincidences in the world. Dr. Paul Thomas is our guest. Look, um, for, for those listeners expecting me to be challenging Paul and throwing um, contradictions at him, look, there's no point in doing that. I've done that enough times with enough doctors and scientists on this programme. These statistics speak for themselves. I can see them. I can read them myself. Myself, I've been on the VAERS um, uh, website. I've been on the Yellow Card website, the, the gov.uk again today. And Paul, just for, for, for people not understanding about reporting of adverse events, we are led to believe, are we not, that these websites are underreported, that it might only be 10 in 100 people who are injured who actually take the time to go on there and report, or is it even less than that? Yeah, it's way less than that, at least here in the United States. Uh, the Harvard Pilgrim study uh, did a very careful look at this, and they found that only 1% of adverse events were being reported. I've seen another very, very detailed analysis that was very well referenced that showed it's about 1 in 40, uh, so a little over 2, 2.5% that gets reported. I mean, sorry, 40 times is missed. So you would take the numbers and multiply by 40, maybe as high as 100. And, and the reason is reporting is very, very difficult. It's uh, frankly, it's being discouraged. If you work in a hospital, we've had whistleblower nurses come forward saying they weren't allowed to report. Yeah. And uh, I have a doctor friend who got the jab before traveling to Europe and got very ill, almost died. It took him four hours and he finally gave up. And he's a pediatrician who knows how to do reports. They are making it extremely difficult to report these problems. Paul, I must ask you to go back to March of last year, March of 2020. How did coronavirus or COVID-19, how did it hit your practice? <laughs> Not at all, except I did have a friend back in March of 2020. Uh, he was in his early to mid 60s who I got a text from him. He was in the hospital with COVID. And this was one of the first cases on the West Coast of, of the United States. And he was already in quarantine. I couldn't visit him. And he nearly died. So I woke up to it very, very quickly. And in fact, I immediately started doing a deep dive into what was known. And back then, very little. I wrote a book on how to deal with it, what you can do that the mainstream media won't tell you. Uh, Amazon initially was going to publish it. And then at the last minute, they said it didn't meet WHO standards. So that book was banned. I had to self-publish. But yeah, as far as for children, I'm a pediatrician with a big practice. Back then, back then I had 15,000 patients, not a single case of COVID for that whole first year. And frankly, the positives we've had uh, less than 100 since the beginning of the whole outbreak. None of them have been sick enough to really be worried about. That's amazing. I live within walking distance, five minutes from one of the biggest hospitals in the Northwest. It's Salford Royal. And there are, I know some people working there. I know a doctor and a couple of nurses. They're still working there. And they told me that they were never busy during the March, April, May a period of 2020. And I've heard this from other people working in hospitals around the country. Is this, could this, I mean, this is, it's bizarre to even ask this question. Could it be possible that COVID-19 doesn't exist? <laughs> um, something exists. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, ha I had this good friend who um, 
you know, you can't blame it on EMF or, or something. I mean, something happened to him. Yeah. And when, there are people dying. However, you're absolutely right about the fact that uh, it, it hospitals were ghost towns. I, I go to, at that point, I was seeing babies in the hospital. It was before I'd lost my license, before they yanked it emergently because I was a threat to public health. Um, there was nothing happening in the hospitals. They were literal ghost towns. It was like, what happened? I mean, they had tents erected outside for this supposed emergency that were always empty, never used. I watched it for months. Not a single person ever went into these tents. Uh, it was obviously there was something else going on, right? When you, when you have this missed disconnect between what you're being told and what you're seeing on the news and what's happening actually on the ground, there's something funny going on. Yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a good answer, Paul. I, I don't personally not believe that COVID-19 exists. I I was very ill in January of last year with, with something that I'd never experienced before. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open to COVID-19 being real. I put that question to you, not to be disrespectful, but there are listeners, I know there are listeners who have questioned whether it was isolated or, 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 or using such language. I don't know, but it, it start, we certainly know I mean, you mentioned the tents. In the UK, they built the so-called Nightingale Hospitals with great fanfare and much media attention. And they never treated a single patient either. It, it, right. it really was a crazy time. Like, it was, it, it was genuine gaslighting of the global yep. population, telling people they were in the midst of the plague. You know, right. that death was everywhere. But yet, Paul, we were looking around and I couldn't see anybody's... I, I didn't know anybody who was in hospital. So it was... Um, it was a it was a, it, a bizarre time for people uh, last year. Yeah. Now you said yeah. I must ask you this, Paul. Um, DrPaulFights.com, folks, check it out. You talked about public health officials. This is a sixty-four million dollar question. Are these guys just idiots and are responding in the way they are responding because they're idiots, or do they know that? You, do they know what we know? And is there some other agenda? at play here. What do you think? Yeah, that is the biggest puzzle of it all. How could all the, this is my own parents tell me this. They'll say, well, Paul, how could everybody have it wrong and you have it right? <laughs> so yeah. even my own parents are, are questioning my judgment on what's going on when I'm presenting actual real world data. I have to believe that what's happened is this process that doctors have gone through of believing in the CDC. And in, here in the United States, it would be the CDC. I'm sure you have a public health system similar in the UK. And you are trained and trained and trained to believe what they say to the point where you, you stop looking elsewhere. So then when a, a, a rogue doctor, as I might be called, comes with real world data, they dismiss it Contempt prior to investigation. It will be absolutely dismissed as garbage. Who am I to question the, 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 all the best doctors in the world, right? And so they keep their blinders on. They just look straight ahead and they believe what they're told, just like the population is believing what they're told. And they keep their eyes on the boob tube, the, the news on the television, and they get their, their belief system is reinforced by gaslighting and by nonsense, right? Um, I don't think they're all bad people, but I think they have been brainwashed. I really do. What about those who talk about um, a plan to transform the way that we live? Now, this is happening because you, you, you spoke eloquently earlier on about 
jabs for privileges, you know, uh, have some yeah. jabs and you get to participate in society. Again, right. I'm open-minded to all of this, but I, I look at it and, and, and I see social crediting coming in. Cashless society, undoubtedly, they're, they've already got their centralised digital currencies ready to go. To me, yeah, if I'm going to have a bet, if I've got five bucks and I'm in Vegas and I'm going to have a bet with my last five bucks, I'm betting that, yes, this is being seized upon anyway, at least, as an opportunity to radically transform the way we live and to take, um, you know, much more control over our lives than they ever had before. What do you think about yeah. that? Oh, it's it's clear as crystal clear for those of us who have our eyes open what's going on. They're, they're you know, y- you are paying a price for freedom. And in this case, people are willing to give up their freedoms for that pre- pretend safety that the state or the public health officials will give you. And so what they had to do to be able to pull this off was create this massive fear campaign. And it's very clear to me that the media is completely bought and paid for. Uh, I mean, you have people who've defected from the media and are trying to tell the story. The Dell Big Trees on Highwire. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, there are others, right? I mean, they had they were on the inside and they saw that they were not allowed. Just as I, as a medical doctor, am not allowed to actually present data. And he was not allowed on that doctor's show to present data or to question the narrative that was coming through. Uh, And what pharma has done is they pay so much to every media outlet in their advertisements, and they'll threaten to pull them if they spread any what they call misinformation or disinformation. In other words, you follow our narrative or we pull the plug on your support. And if we pull the plug on your support, since it represents such a large percentage of your budget, you're gone. Absolutely. And so they've actually bought and paid for almost all mainstream media. And then what they're doing is now with censorship, suppressing any other voice that's dissenting. So we have the disinformation 12, right? These are the most influential voices that are speaking the truth that they don't want spoken. So you basically cancel culture, you get rid of them. Absolutely. Well, I've, I've had personal experience of that here in the UK and elsewhere, sadly. Uh, Dr. Paul Thomas is our guest. We've got Paul for probably another 10 minutes. Time is flying. Paul's very busy. A lot of people looking to speak with him today. He's in Oregon. He uh, wrote the book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan. That was acclaimed, that. And uh, it's partly responsible, I suppose, for the position he finds himself in now. He was suspended by the Oregon Medical Board last December. And it was very shortly after he published a study in in a renowned publication, the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And Paul found that vaccinated children had more sick visits and illness than unvaccinated children. This was never going to be allowed, was it really? Uh, This information get out to people. And Paul is fighting that now. And uh, if you want to to help in, in that fight, to follow it, uh, give moral support if you can't give financial support. It's drpaulsfight.com. Do pick up a copy of the vaccine-friendly plan online. Um, are you optimistic, Paul? Are, are enough people, do, do you think, going to be appalled by, as the mandates creep 
ever closer and as governments get ever uglier in the threats they make to citizens might that be the thing that might push people over the edge might that be the thing that says well hang on a second we're dealing with monsters here we've got to stand up to it what do you think i do think that the covid vaccine rollout is a massive uh overreach and probably they've they've overplayed their hand and it's going to be such a huge mistake the the devastation of people's health is going to be too great to deny and people will rise up what i'm sad to observe is that so many are just blind to what's actually going on so that means it's going to take a long time for people to have enough injury uh to make the connection right i mean you you just I see. I, I rarely watch television. I was at a friend's house and I saw a commercial for shingles. Now, if you have chickenpox or if you get the chickenpox vaccine, that virus lives in your body, in the nerve roots, and someday when your immune system is suppressed, you can develop shingles. I have seen a handful of cases of shingles in my entire career, right? It used to be a disease only of the very old who were already immunosuppressed. This commercial said one in three people have shingles today. And of course, they are predicting what's going to happen because of the COVID jab suppressing the immune system so significantly that shingles will now become a very common problem. But they don't want people to make the connection between the COVID jab and shingles. So they're already sending ads out in commercials that this is a very common condition. One in three people have it. And that's how they pull the wool over people's eyes. People will not make the connection that, oh, my God, all this shingles is related to the jab. And I think they're going to try to do that with just about everything that happens. You gave me an idea there. One of the things that I laughed very hard at last year was the increasingly bizarre stories coming out about COVID symptoms. You remember them. So they were coming yep. out every other week. In in one story that I, I, I saw a French, my, my better half is French. I saw a French newscaster tell a story about how a woman had to be taken out of a basement uh, in 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 her apartment building because she was running around naked and she was screaming. Now I've been a journalist for twenty five years and I've covered everything. To me, that sounded like the woman was having a you know a psychological episode. Um, maybe there was narcotics involved, maybe not, but it was attributed to COVID. And then mm. and then they were talking about COVID toe, and then they were talking about lumps on the sides of people's necks and everything. And you've just really struck an idea in my mind now I'm thinking wow by assigning pretty much every symptom ever known of to COVID that covers the vaccine injuries doesn't it somehow oh absolutely and of course they will play the trick of a new variant causing the problems so once everybody or most people are vaccinated and they're starting to have vaccine injury symptoms which are going to take months or years uh, this thing the, the most devastating thing it does is causes autoimmunity. So your own immune system is attacking your own body. And so you will also, it, it also suppresses your immune system. So cancers are going to skyrocket. Well, you know, we're going to hear, I'm sure, I don't, I'm not sure I've heard it yet, but you will hear that this new variant causes cancer. This new variant causes all these things that are actually caused by the vaccine. The only way we're going to absolutely figure it out <clears throat> is for enough people not to get the jab, and that will be the control group. 
And as my study has shown and other studies that compare vaxxed to unvaxxed, the unvaccinated people are hands down so incredibly healthy. It's like I am fearless about disease because I still have a natural immune system. Mind you, I was vaccinated back in medical school. I grew up in Africa, so I had a few vaccines then, but nothing like what kids are getting today and nothing like what's going to happen when you get repeated COVID jabs and God knows what else is coming down the pike for everybody that's signing up for the new system of passports. And, you know, you might be up to date this year if you get your two jabs in your booster, but don't worry, by next year, they'll add two or three more things that are required for you to live and have freedom. I'm telling you, it's a slavery passport. We're going back to apartheid where you have to have papers to move around. Just say no to any such infringement on our society. Freedom is in the balance. I'm not going to follow that. That's excellent, Paul. Thanks so much for that. I, I'm going to mention the website again, drpaulsfight.com. Dr. Paul Thomas, uh, 35 years experience paediatricians are coming after him because, uh, well, he figured it out, didn't he? That unvaccinated children have better health outcomes than those who are given the insane vaccine schedules that we see, not only in the United States, but here in the UK. Paul, it was nice to meet you today all the very best with your struggle with the Oregon medical authorities um, I think you're a great uh, in England they say bloke I think you're a great bloke and uh, I hope well, we get a chance to sp- I hope we get a chance to speak again and that when we do that will be in a, a better place than the, the place that we're in right now thank you Paul uh, thank you Richie for getting the word out and for uh, getting the truth out I appreciate you you're a good bloke yourself thank you very much sir all the best Paul thank you Dr Paul Thomas live on the line from Oregon Paul's running off to do another interview uh, right now nice to speak with him today yes yeah isn't it funny somebody mentioned Paul on the programme life is funny like that connections I spoke to a doctor sometime earlier this year and, and they might have mentioned Paul and of course, me being me working on my own, I might have made a note somewhere and said, you need to get in touch with Paul Thomas. But I didn't. I'm sure I made a note. And then we end up bumping into each other um, uh, uh, through a mutual friend of ours, who, who I must give a mention to in case she's listening. That's uh, Amy, by the way, if Amy's listening. Thank you, Amy, for all of your work in helping to uh, put uh, guests like Paul on uh, radio shows like this. I really appreciate that. It is exactly, that's by the way, Amy uh, Schaefert. That's Amy Schaefert. How are you doing, Amy? It's exactly three and a half minutes or four minutes uh, to the top of the hour. Jackie Devoy joins me shortly. Hugely, just as important as what you've been hearing. Jackie came on the programme earlier in the year and she brought families with her. She brought people with her to talk about midazolam, to talk about their fears that their relatives were euthanized in hospitals during this COVID thing, and maybe going back before then, maybe. And uh, it was was crazy stuff. Um, Big shout out to Gareth Eichen and the iconic crew for obviously platforming Jackie at the time, giving her a platform, as I did here, but then the iconic gang putting together this documentary, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes' time, which will be available this coming Sunday, December 5th. You'll be able to watch it at Iconic.com. Now, Iconic.com is a, subscri- is a subscription uh, platform, understandably, by the way. Uh, a, a, a lot of content. Um, television, 
Uh, they've got a lot of overheads there. It's really good value, I believe. Really good value. Uh, but you'll be able to watch it on Sunday, December 5th. That's this coming Sunday. We'll talk with Jackie about that in a few minutes' time. But after a musical interlude by the Kinks. I'll read some of your comments. I'm not forgetting about you, so I'm not. Shop, shop, just like the Kinks and dedicated follower of fashion on The Richie Allen Show. The time is six o'clock. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, it is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. There's some amazing news on the reach of the show. I don't know if I should share this with you. Will I share it with you for the crack? I'll share it with you, right. Um, if you push me, I'll give you all the information. Look... Somebody who represents a very well-known social media app. Now, it's not Twitter, obviously. It's not, it's not um, 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 Facebook, obviously not. But it's, it, it's, it's, it's an establishment app, believe it or not. Um, an app, like a media app for sharing content and stuff. Got in touch with me today and offered me uh, a deal, an advertising deal. Now, I can't take it. I can't take it, sadly, because of the because of the company itself, and because I would essentially be endorsing the company, and I can't do that, right? But um, I might tell all eventually. But it was very interesting, anyway. So they reached out and they said to me, "The Richie Allen Show podcast." Now, bear in mind, this is a live radio show, which is then uploaded to podcast. They said, we've looked into your podcast. It's in the top 1% of podcasts in the world. The Richie Allen Show. Now, I, I, I knew the podcast numbers were pretty big. Like, it's just over a million downloads a month through Podomatic, which is mental, right? It is, really. But, but, but when you think of it, I used, to get, I used to get a million and a half views a month on YouTube or more. So, and that, that was some years ago before the YouTube thing was deleted. So this lady reached out anyway and said, look, we'd like to pay you to host certain Richie Allen shows exclusively on the app, right? So you'd have to listen to it on the app. So on, on a given day, you wouldn't be listening to it on my website. You'd have to download their app and I would get paid for it, was, was the offer. But I can't do that. I've said from day one, we, we go back to 2014, when the programme started, I will never, ever, ever do that. I can't do it. You know, there have been times when I've been broke, and, and, I, and I'm sure you've been broke too. And I thought, oh my God, I could do with the money. About two years ago, a guy offered me an absolute fortune if I endorsed a tea. And all I had to do was say that I drank the tea and I really liked it. And put something on the website. About, but I couldn't do it. I just can't do it. I'm not an angel, me. But I've never sold my soul and I never will. I know you're really intrigued now. What's the app? It's, it's, it's establishment. It's not massive. Like, it's not one of the big, big, big boys. But it's got, um, well, it's got a few million, in fact, a few more million uh, downloads, does this app. And they were nice. When they reached out, this lady was nice. We'd like to get you to do maybe several shows a month broadcast exclusively through the app we'll, we'll give you some some dosh I can't do that anyway that's just the way it is I know I'm an idiot I know I'm an idealist 
But sure, look, what are you going to do? I am. That's who I am. And that's who I'll always be. I'm not virtue signaling. I don't want your praise for it. It's just who I am. Uh, Craigie says, I work in a small family business. I, I had a nurse from the Northern General Hospital in Sheffield come into shop today. No mask. We got talking. She said, loads are refusing the booster. They had the two to keep their jobs, but they've refused the third. She said, HDU has more vaccinated people than unvaccinated. And she confirmed unvaxxed meant double jabbed and within two weeks of the second jab. HDU is the hospital. Yeah. Look, there are lots of comments. Forgive me, I'm going to have to get Jackie on, by the way. So let me get Jackie on. Let me get Jackie on. Uh, Before I do get her on, though, I'm going to tell you as much as I know about the film that you'll see uh, this December 5th. It is the... uh, the documentary about the Medazalam scandal. It's called A Good Death. And death is followed by a question mark. A Good Death. I'm trying to open up a page here now on my website and the traffic is so heavy on the website again that it's crashing on me. Listen, let's just get Jackie on. Let me tell you all about Jackie very briefly. Worked with her at The People's Voice back in 2013. She's a wonderful journalist terrific journalist, very principled journalist, and her stories have appeared in pretty much every newspaper in this country over the years. Uh, Ethical journalist, never compromised her principles. She came to us back earlier on in the year, she came to me, she came to Gareth Ike, and she said, look, I'm hearing horrible stories from people who believe that their loved ones, who would have been discharged from hospital, who would have gone home, Uh, died because they were given overdoses of morphine and midazolam. Jackie's a brilliant journalist and a brilliant researcher, so she spent a lot of time with these people and looked into it before going public with it. The conversations she had with those people, um, well, 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 that led to her going on Gareth's programme, Gareth Icke on Iconic, coming on this programme and one or two others. That led to an avalanche of people getting in touch with Jackie to say, oh my God, Maybe it happened to our family too. A Good Death, a story of euthanasia in the care industry, will premiere this Sunday, December 5th, on iconic.com. That's I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. It's Jackie's work. Uh, She features prominently in the... Well, she presents the documentary. It's good to have my old pal, Jackie Devi, on the programme. Welcome back, Jackie. Hello, Richie. How are you this evening? I'm 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 good, and I'm I'm all the better knowing that you escaped the dental appointment that you had penciled in this afternoon. I did. I didn't want to do this talk with a big swollen chop on me. You could have said you could have said we'll do it tomorrow. I'm flexible. You could have went to the dentist and gotten <laughs> oh, it over no. and done with. Got to get your priorities right. It's horrible. I hate it. And and my dentist is lovely. He's lovely, but I can't stand it either. <laughs> Go back to the beginning. First of all, congratulations on the film, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm so glad that it's um, that this is a radio show because I didn't go to sleep at all last night because we're still doing the final tweaks to it um, and uh, it should be ready any minute now. Um, but it's looking really, really good. Um, I think you've seen the trailer, haven't you? Yes, it's on our website, folks. Go yeah. to richieallen.co.uk, see yeah. the full trailer. It's going to be quite powerful, I think. I mean, a lot of people say even when they just watch the two-minute trailer that they that they're in tears just watching that. And even even though I've seen it a thousand times, all these little um, shots and 
pictures of these people and, and little bits of film of, the, of the, what they're saying, I still get all choked up. I just watched it again today and I got tears in my eyes. And I'm not even a soppy person, Richard, you know that. No, you're an empath, <laughs> but you're an empath. You don't have to be soppy. Yeah, uh, that's you're an true, empath. yeah. So, all yeah, the best journalists kind of, are. The whole story began when, um, when my dad was in a care home last year and, and I found out that he had something called a DNR or a DNAR form on his uh, files. And I didn't really know what it was. I had a rough idea, but I was very concerned as to why he had such a thing because it's a do not resuscitate order. So if uh, they found him like not breathing in his bed or something or found him like, you know, not breathing in the morning when you know, they went to his room or something or collapsed in the bathroom, they wouldn't resuscitate. Um, the reason being, well, that he's old, except my dad wasn't very old. He was, um, uh, he's sadly died since um, I was last on your show in September. But um, but that's a whole um, separate uh, issue that I'd like to get to grips with. Yeah. But um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, so, so I talked to my dad about it. My dad had been diagnosed with vascular dementia, although he didn't really seem to have um, very serious dementia to me. He was still holding philosophical conversations till the day he died really with me anyway and um yeah so so finding out that that this was in place was a bit of a shock he he didn't want one I didn't want one uh, for him and um he only really kind of understood it when I said well how would you feel if it was the other way around if I had a, a DNR on me and they weren't going to resuscitate me and he said well I wouldn't like that and I said well I feel the same about you you know and he got it then because before he was saying, oh, if you're old and if you're dying, you know, we should all have one of those. And I'm like, well, you're not old and you're not dying. So um, so it's very peculiar because um, they brought them in like these blanket DNRs at the start of the whole COVID nonsense last year. And um, and uh, and most people were unaware that they had them. So I started looking into this thinking, well, this will make an interesting story. One of the mainstream papers will definitely take this and I started talking to some whistleblower doctors and nurses and find out found out that's when I found out about the blanket DNRs on whole swathes of people that um, you wouldn't even imagine because uh, I think most of us wouldn't would think that maybe if you're you've got a terminal illness and if you're dying of cancer and you're very very old and you've all you've agreed with your family that you know that you are at the end of your days that it's it's maybe a sensible option rather than bringing you back just to suffer more but these people that the whistleblower doctor was telling me about, one in particular, was telling me that they were being put on um, disabled people. And um, we did, there were news stories last year in the, in the mainstream media about how um, two thirds of the uh, so-called COVID victims were disabled people. Um, also people with mental health issues, uh, young and old, um, autistic children even. Um, and anyone over the age of 60, I was told on several occasions. But, so that's what they class as, uh, as really old now. Um, so the, these DNRs automatically go on these people without these people knowing, without them consenting. Um, you're supposed to, uh, for a DNR to go on, a doctor is supposed to explain to the patient or the family um, uh, exactly what it is and and get consent from the patient or if they haven't got capacity from the family and and if they don't get that, then they can't put it on. But doctors and consultants are just um, putting them on willy-nilly now without consulting anyone. In fact, I've got my dad's DNR form here, and the section that it says uh, spoken to family is blank, spoken to patient is blank. So they're not even bothering um, doing that now. And has the, law, has the law been broken there, Jackie, by that not being filled yeah. in? 
yeah, it, it, it's against all, all the the, the um, official guidelines. Yeah. So, but it's like I, I did actually ring um, a hospital and speak to um, a, a doctor about it uh, at the time when my dad was temporarily in hospital overnight, and and he just said, "No, we've got the right to do that now." And I said, "You haven't." And they they said, "Yes, we have." And we just and I, I looked it up on on the internet. It's a bit it's a bit vague, but. Yeah, I can see how they think that they have got the right because it's all it's all gone a bit wishy-washy now about about how it actually works. So anyway, I thought this would make a great story. Um, and one of the mainstream um, broadsheets said that they would definitely take it. So I, I wrote it up and then they changed their mind, which is, um, you know, you don't get paid, obviously, <laughs> when they change their mind. Yeah. And um, so I thought well, this is too good a story um, just to throw away. So I just got it out there on the Internet. And it kind of went everywhere. I had friends that I hadn't spoken to for for a long time ringing me saying they'd seen it. So it kind of got around everywhere. And um, and after that, um, I went on to uh, to speak to David Icke and I went on one of his podcasts about what was actually going on in the hospitals and care homes with the elderly people, you know, and it kind of covered all this. And I told him what these whistleblower people had told me. And... Um, and then after that, I had lots of people contacting me, one man in particular, who told me the most horrendous story about his relative. And um, I still can't can't um, say much about him yet still. But soon his story will be coming out soon because I can't uh, he can't speak out at the moment um, for reasons I'll reveal uh, very soon, hopefully within the next few months anyway. Um, because I mentioned this person quite a lot because this is how it all started, because he he was so um convincing and I, I just knew that he was telling the truth and um, it was just a horrendous story and then I was getting other people contacting me telling me really really similar stories so um and this 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 was stories of, of their loved ones being going into hospital for various reasons um invariably nothing too serious and um and then over the covid um uh, when all that kicked off they were um going in with suspected you know covid symptoms um, pneumonias, flus, that kind of thing. And the first thing that they would would happen to them um, would be they'd be treated with the new uh, COVID protocol, which was um, which is printed out. It's easy to find everywhere. Different trusts, it's slightly different for different trusts, but um, it's it's basically giving um, uh, a combination of uh, drugs in a sort of cocktail, um, uh, and it's morphine mainly and midazolam. And um, quite high dose to start with, 2.5 milligrams, whereas before the COVID protocol, uh, you had to titrate. So if, if a very small, frail, elderly person came in, you'd give them a little tiny bit first. You know, like if you go to the dentist, oh, don't say dentist, don't remind yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but um, you go to the dentist, they give you one little bit of the Novocaine, what's it called, Novocaine or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. And, um, and then they go, is that all right, do you want a bit more? And you, and you titrate, so you have a little bit more, a little bit more. You, they don't whack you with a whole great big vial of it because it might upset you, you know, it might make you feel sick or whatever. Or, you know, overdose. So, um, but what they're doing now, instead of, they're, they're, in, the, in the old days, they'd start with 0.1 milligrams and then gradually go up 0.2, 0.3. Um, but um, in, in since last March, um, last springtime, with the COVID protocol, they start with 2.5 milligrams, which is a massive dose and, and could, could actually kill a very frail elderly person. And, and I've heard stories of um, 
of that happening and also of, it, of uh, elderly people being just knocked out cold and one elderly person knocked out cold and never to regain never to come back to con- is there any has any reason been given for the 2.5 milligrams for that level of increase no no i haven't heard any explanation but it seems to be across the board at all the trusts quite um a standard practice but 2.5 um that's far too much you know for for an elderly small or frail person um it, it it'd be fine for you probably but you know, for for a little yeah. old lady who's six stone in weight, you know, four foot ten, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna affect her in a very different way, and awfully often in a in a, a fatal way. So um, yeah, so, so there was this protocol going on, and uh, and a lot of people that were coming to me were telling me that terrible things had happened to their relatives, and they were being given these drugs, which are actually um, respiratory system depressing drugs. So why would they be giving these drugs, and I've said this so many times now, um, it's a bit of a mantra, why would they be giving drugs that, that depress the respiratory system um, to people who are suffering from respiratory yeah, problems? Yeah. That makes no sense. And, and you've, never, asked, um, an you've asked friendly doctors to give their opinion on that. And yeah. what, what have they said? They say, well, it's just the protocol and, and um, it's fine and it's not that big a dose. But um, on, in, on some um, trusts, you can see that that they can give up to 60 milligrams of midazolam a day over a 24-hour period, which is a massive amount. If you if you think that you know 2.5 or 5 milligrams could actually kill an old person, to give them 60 milligrams over a 24-hour period, that's like every couple of hours 5 milligrams. So, you know, and and I've heard stories of of people um, people who've been unconscious and they've been given it while they're unconscious. Um, the excuse is to uh, ease agitation and anxiety. They say it's an they can use it as an anxiolytic, which is like to relieve anxiety. But also, if you're physically agitated, you know, if you if you're like stressed and flailing around, I think they use it for minor surgeries. They use it for um, dentistry sometimes, and they use it for um, if they're putting someone on a ventilator. It's not a very pleasant experience, so they'll sedate them and it'll stop them flailing around basically. Sadly, it doesn't stop pain. It's not an analgesic. That's where they throw in the morphine. So the morphine stops any pain, and the midazolam knocks you out, basically, or, or numbs you. It's also it's from a family of the same family of drugs as, as rohypnol, so the, the date rape drug. The date rape drug, yeah. And right. midazolam has been used in uh, date rapes and murders. There, there, there's been several um, cases of that over the years so it's it's one of those drugs it knocks you out you can't move you can still think and you can still feel unless you've had the the morphine as well um and 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 you can still hear everything going on but you can't move and and, and you can't open your eyes and you can't move your mouth or your limbs so it's um and they use it in executions in in many u.s states but it's such a horrible horrible way to die and 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 i don't know if you remember back in 2014 when we got that priest on the show do you remember oh yeah yeah and because he was watching De- he was sitting with dennis mcguire a death that's prisoner. right that's right and, yeah. I, and he was on the gurney and he and he took like something dreadful like 43 minutes to die or something that's like right. that and, and it was the most terrible terrible thing to watch and one executioner was or a doctor who was present said he would rather watch a hundred hangings than watch one more of those deaths. Yeah, and death row prisoners often, if they can have the choice, they choose the electric chair over these over these injections. And these are the injections that they're giving to our elderly people 
in hospitals, care homes, hospices, and even in their own homes. That's a good point you make about the electric chair. Capital punishment is something I know quite a bit about because I used yeah. to campaign yeah. um, for, for people many years ago. You're quite right to point that out. Many condemned men and, and one or two women have said, please give me the chair rather than that. Such is the anecdotal evidence about the suffering. Now, that's an extraordinary yeah. thing to actually well, think I'll have the yeah. chair. It seems now that yeah. our elderly people are condemned and, and given the same or more or higher doses than these, these rapists and murderers are given on death row. When did you realise the scale of this was something that, that really needed to be looked at? When did you realise that, that this wasn't just a handful of, of incidents, that there was something else going on? I think because... Um, you know, the people that were coming to me, they were also saying that they had friends and they'd been speaking to other people. And it was an exponential sort of widening of, of this, um, you know, of, of what was happening. Um, and even people, when I told people what I was looking into, to start with, as usual, um, everyone just thought, oh, she's off on one of her mad um, things again, you know, conspiracy theories. Um, but as time went on, more and more people were coming to me, friends and family saying, do you think that's what happened to my dad, you know? And the more people actually stopped and, and thought about it instead of pointing and laughing, um, they started to realise, hang on a minute. But the weird thing is, most people seem to think it was okay. And this was the problem I had when I went to um, the, the 28 news, mainstream newspapers. Um, when I finally got through to, to some of the editors, I mean, not, not on the phone, but like got it into their heads, what I was actually trying to, to um, explain to them. And it was very difficult. And I don't know why, because they're not stupid. So it's almost like they were being deliberately um, obstructive and obtuse because they just didn't seem to get what I was saying. And I think I'm, I think I was quite perspicuous and in, in, in clear about what I was actually saying. But they were... Um, and one editor said to me at, at the end of me toing and froing where they're like for a couple of days, she just kind of said to me, well, it's not really a story, is it? And I said, why did you say that? And she said, because it happens all the time. They use these cocktails of drugs for terminally ill people all the time. I said, yes, they do. But it's illegal. It's um, it's it's murder. You know, it's euthanasia, it's, it, and invariably it's involuntary, well, almost always involuntary euthanasia, which is the same as murder, and you can get you life imprisonment in jail. Assisted suicide can get you 14 years in jail if you help, you know, give yeah, someone some yeah. drugs to finish them off. That's a crime as well in this country. I mean, assisted suicide is now legal in, I think, six or seven European countries. Um, I don't know which ones off the top of my head. I know Belgium and, yeah, and the, the Netherlands. Ones. Yeah, Switzerland but, um, is another one, yeah. Yeah, there are quite a few now. But yeah. in this in the UK, it's illegal. So this is what I was trying to explain to these editors. Yeah, I know it goes on all the time. And that's the story, because it shouldn't be going on all the time. And they were saying, yeah, but it does. And, you know, everyone knows about it. And it's not a big deal. It's like, well, I said, also, my story isn't about terminally ill people who are like 90 years old. These are people in their 50s going into hospital with a with a sprained ankle. And the next thing... They're on the COVID death pathway, you know, because God knows why. They're, I think, that, well, there is some kind of um, quota that they've got to fill. You know, they're, they're, and there are payments for people who are uh, signed off as COVID deaths. The hospitals and the doctors get payments for that. I've heard this uh, said before now. You being the journalist you are, where's the proof of that? 
Um, you can find it um, online. There's a thing called, um, I've got this right now because, as you know, Stuart's our main man for all the research. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of collect the information and he retains it all in his uh, massive uh, planet-like brain. But there's something called sequin payments, so called C-Q-I-N-S. And um, that, that, if you look up that, you can find out a bit more because it's quite complex. But um, payments are given. So what they're doing, so... Richie, if, if um, you or I went into hospital now, there is a chance that, and if you've got symptoms of COVID, that they might stick you on this uh, a syringe driver, which is a, a device that pumps the drugs into the body. And once you're on a syringe driver with the with the um, midazolam and, and the morphine, you've got an average of 29 hours left, right? That's an average. Some people go for three or four days. Some people um, uh, can die almost immediately within minutes because it's such a shock to their system especially if they're morphine naive as they call it so if you if you've never had that sort of drug before it can really shock your system and it can be fatal so um and then the, obviously the question was so we had this massive first wave of covid where all these elderly people were dying of covid and then you start you know i started to think well is that what they're dying of or is it this you know is there some kind of um you know, mass euthanasia going on. And people just say, oh, don't be so ridiculous. Why Why would the government do that? Well, quite a, lot of reasons, quite a lot of reasons. Yeah. Oh, you and I would would, 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 would think that. Absolutely. But for, for most people, it's unthinkable. We'll stay with that just before you come back in, Jackie. I'm speaking with Jackie Devoy, a friend of mine, a very experienced uh, journalist who has... Um, I think, uncovered a, a massive scandal. I think that's an understatement. I think this is one of the biggest stories of all time here. The idea that, you know, healthy, maybe not so healthy, but people who were not dying were admitted to hospital, particularly during the so-called first wave of COVID, and they were put on a cocktail of drugs to basically ease them out to end their lives. The midazolam and morphine, as Jackie has has just described, the film we're we're talking about because this since we spoke, uh, since since Jackie came on the first time to talk about this, uh, she's been making a film on it with uh, iconic.com. That's i c k o n i c dot com. It's called A Good Death. But it's a question, it's a question mark. A story of euthanasia in the care industry. It'll broadcast this Sunday, December 5th, and anybody can watch it at iconic.com. Um, and 28 newspaper editors, let's not leave that one just hanging out there. It's got to be repeated again. Have said, no thanks, we, we don't want to, to run this particular story. Even though, by running it, they might very well save people's lives. I'm guessing that's one of your principal motivations here, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, about uh, three months ago, I, I um, emailed them all again saying, if you don't run this story, you've got blood on your hands because in the time that you've ignored me sending you this, thousands or at least hundreds and more people in the UK have died in this way. And so by you not getting this story out there to people who need to know about it, you're, you're complicit in this terrible, terrible, um, I was going to say genocide, but it's a democide because it's because it's the government that are doing it. It's called a democide, isn't it, when it's government-ordained. It's like state-sanctioned murder, basically, yeah. of the elderly. And I just did a little bit of maths on my own, 
Um, my dad was 78 when he died. Had he lived 20 years longer, um, he would have cost the government another half a million pounds. He was getting like four different pensions because um, he used to work for the NHS, ironically, and he used to work for the council. So he had, pen and then he had the state pension. I think he had an inherited pension from his um, from his um, wife who died. Um, so he was getting, you know, a reasonable amount every, every month, like um, under two thousand a month. But um, but you know, which is a reasonable amount for a pensioner. And by dying, you know, for, by someone dying twenty years early, that's a five hundred thousand pound saving on one person. So. And every single person I've spoken to has lost a loved one in this in this heinous way. They've all when I ask them, but why why would they do this to people? They all say it's the money. And most of the people were had good pensions, or they were um, I mean, or they were claiming benefits, costing or in and out of hospital quite a lot. And we discovered a scale um, where. Um, it's a kind of like three strikes in or four strikes in your out system with the hospital. If an elderly person has been in hospital a certain number of times in a certain amount of time, um, and I think it's three times or possibly four, then they'll be like deemed to be on the the, the end of life um, end of life, and and they'll be put on appropriate pathways. So um, because it's costing too much, it costs thousands and thousands every week to have one person yeah. in a hospital bed. So. And the government are very, are very aware of that. And, and it's all about, um, you know, getting rid of the people who are costing them too much money. So the Liverpool, so the Liverpool, care, yeah, the Liverpool care pathway never went away then? No, no. It was supposed to be abolished in uh, 2014, but it never went away. And, and it was continued. There's a euphemism that all the doctors and nurses use as soon as you hear them say, oh, we're going to make them comfortable. Yeah. That's it. That's the euphemism. Let me do my and job. Let me do my job here now. We're old pals, but I'm going to do yeah. my job. Look, you're suggesting that tens of thousands of elderly people are being euthanized in hospitals and in care homes deliberately to end their lives quickly and quietly, uh, using the disguise of making them comfortable. But they're not really. They're killing them. And they're doing that because they're useless eaters, effectively. Now, we we talked about this and I've seen some of the film. People listening to this are going to say, have you lost your mind? How could they possibly get away with doing that in the information age, in the age of social media? Wouldn't nurses and doctors who have participated in it, wouldn't they be screaming from the rooftops that this is going on? Yeah, well, you're right. Some some of them have. And then we see what happens to them when they speak out. Um they either have to be uh, very careful about it and be anonymous, and we have lots of anonymous doctors and nurses and, and medics and paramedics speaking out. Um, a lot of them are frightened of losing their often very well-paid jobs. Even nurses are, are reasonably well-paid these days. Um, then you get people who um, are just happy to give the orders. They get the protocol from the men in the suits, and they carry out the orders. And some of them might be looking, going, seems a bit weird giving them this medication for that particular symptom, but that's what the men in the suits have told us to do. We'll just do it. And then that, they're the consultants and the doctors who then pass the orders down to the nurses. Most nurses, will they've got great respect for the doctors and consultants and, and do what they say, and they don't question it because they believe that the doctors and consultants know better than they do. 
um, because they've got more degrees than they have or, you know, they've been studying medicine long, longer than the nurses have. So they, they just do as they're told. Um, Compar- Compartmentalisation, we call that. Don't yeah, we? And, yeah. And you get you get um, a lot of nurses um, who do question it and they're, they're thinking this is strange, you know. But they just think, well, I can't be right. You know, you've seen the Milgram experiment, haven't you? Yeah, remind our listeners what that is. It's very yeah, good. so that's all about how people bow to authority or in particular a man in a white coat. Yeah. So they did an experiment where they were getting members of the public to uh, quiz a man behind the screen who they believed was just another member of the public. And if he got the, the, the answers wrong to the questions, the guy would have to administer... And the ordinary member of the public would have to administer an electric shock to him. And every time he got a question wrong, they made the shock higher and higher and higher until it was at actually a fatal sort of voltage. And the guy behind the screen is the screen is screaming in agony. And so the the man administering the shocks and asking the questions is saying to the guy in the white coat, he sounds like in a lot of pain, you know, should, should we stop? And the man in the white coat is saying, no, 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 carry on. He said, don't worry about it. Don't Don't worry about his yeah. screams. And the guy was going, are you sure? Are you sure he's all right? And he's like, yeah, he's fine. And then at one point, the bloke goes really deathly quiet. And and and, the, and so the man doing the, the, the shocks is saying, do you think we should go and check on him? He might be dead. And, the, and he's like, no, no, carry on doing the shocks. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's something like, I can't remember the exact percentage, but something like 60% or two thirds anyway, um, would just do as would they do were told. It. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you, you know, you'd think, oh, well, I wouldn't. But, you know, maybe you would in that situation, you know, but I know I wouldn't. But but I think a lot of people definitely would because they think, well, that man knows better than me. He must know what he's talking about. So and they'll, they'll do terrible, terrible things to their to their um, fellow humans because the man in the white coat told them to. And I think there is a large section of people, very large section of people who are like that. I hear it all the time. You know, people say to me, oh, you know better than the doctor, do you? And it's like, well, actually, on this particular subject, I do. You know, um, I don't just bow down because the man's got a degree or because he's, you know, sits in a GP surgery. You know, they, they, a lot of them don't know a lot of stuff. Not many doctors know about vaccines, for example, you know, as much as they should do. Um, so but a lot of people can't accept that, you know, the ordinary people, they just think, well, the doctor must know best. And especially like our parents sort of generations they really did see doctors as gods and they would never question anything that they told them to do good point and it's it's one of the reasons why they have almost universally taken the jabs yeah yeah and not questioned the need for them or not even questioned i i heard Kay borley i heard adam bolton i think i heard several different presenters today talking about a fourth shot for the yeah. so-called vulnerable oh, yeah. in the in the early new year, and I'm sure many of our elderly, wise wise though they may be in many other areas, in this area they'll just run to the jabatoires in January or February and have their fourth shot unquestioningly, no Absolutely, doubt. Yeah. What you what you're saying is is like a plot from a Robin Cook novel. That's the thing. It's so abominable. Even me, the things I've been exposed to in my life. When you came on the program to talk about this, I'd watched your 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 chat with uh, with Gaz, and you know I've 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 seen some incredibly evil things. Even me, would you believe? I was thinking, Jesus, this is this can't be. Mm. Could they be I doing th- this? Yeah, I think it's when you actually see the people talking, 
and hear their voices, you know they're telling the truth, you know. I was, I'm very suspicious of documentaries about everything, you know me, and I'm very good at um, actor spotting, you know, I've yeah, watched so many, yeah. like, 9-11 videos sitting there going, that's not a real fireman, that's an actor, yeah. you know. I can spot an actor at 20 paces. Um, but I was, I was looking at our documentary trying to think like that and you just can't you apps you can see that these people are 100 genuine and telling the truth and i interviewed um 12 people initially and we just couldn't squeeze them all in so we had to um narrow it down to six but um i was looking at a lot of other sort of mainstream documentaries and quite often they only have like two sort of you know case studies examples of whatever it is they were that they're talking about you know so um, and that can be enough sometimes but to have six people talking and um, with you know in, in so much pain and and their loved ones um have died as recently as as um august so um yeah you know they're telling the truth but i felt that that people needed to see these people speaking and once you've seen this documentary you'll have no doubts at all you know that this is going on I wanna... and, and there's there's threads running through all their stories similarities you know like like just just really odd things like that like their loved ones being moved to a room on their own away from other people yeah. and like um the cruel things that, that some of the the doctors and nurses actually say to them it's just horrendous i mean you'll you'll hear you you think sorry a nurse wouldn't say that a doctor wouldn't say that but when you hear it you know, over and over and over again. It's like there's this strange sort of system going on, it seems, where where, where the, they're very, the, the, the medics are very cold towards the family and very matter-of-fact and just doing, you know, robotic is one of the words that has been used quite a lot and cold and cruel and sadistic. And it just sounds terrible. And then suddenly out of the blue, a nice one shows up, either it's a consultant or a really nice nurse. And, and then they kind of put the... the um, family's minds at rest and at that point the families do a big sigh of relief and relax for a minute and take their eye off the ball and that's when the, they go in and get them and this this that sounds unbelievable that that's something I've picked up just in the course of um researching this documentary and, and speaking to all these people it's like not another one who's, who's saying that that's strange so you've got the you've got the good cop and good the cop, bad, bad cop, cop thing going on here you know and it's you like said surely that you cannot be deliberate yeah and you said something else a few minutes ago that I wanted to pick up on, but I didn't want to interrupt you either. You said that the families you've spoken to, they had um, healthy um, pensions and healthy benefit arrangements. Could it be as sinister? I mean, it couldn't get any more sinister if you were right and if the families are right. I leave it up to people to make their own minds up. Look, it's obvious what I think. I think you're a sound journalist. You facilitated some of the families to come on this programme. I never thought they were lying uh, at all. This this is mind-blowing stuff. But could it be even more sinister? Could it be targeting of people? It's really sinister. Now, this is something... Because of I, the money. I, I, I think I spoke to you about um, earlier in the year, but um, about asset stripping of the elderly. And yeah. I've deliberately not looked into that because it's it, it's just too much, you know, on top of all this as well. But they're, they're imagine that, Jackie. Though. Imagine if they had lists of people. Uh, imagine if they had lists of people bad. with with various yeah. kind of minor ailments or or what, what what do we call them? We call these chronic 
chronic problems. They're not terminal problems, but chronic problems. They could be people between 55 and 75 or 55 and 85. Imagine mm. if they were looking through those people, looking for the mm. ones that would be the biggest savings if they disappeared. Yeah, well, there's... They get, uh, people get asked very strange questions, uh, you know, the, these people I've spoken to. One question that crops up, they are they ask, does, does the um, patient own their own home? And it's like, what's that got to do with anything? And that's quite common. I've got I've got a lawyer friend and um, another expert who has looked into this extensively. So you could get them on the show at some point because it is really sinister. But I kind of don't want to look if this is you know, it's too much for my poor little brain to take. And um, I'm just focusing on on actually just the, the, the terrible euthanasia that's going on at the moment. And and I'm trying to find out. Well, I think we know why. But another another thing I did only last week, I wrote a very nice um, uh, press release to go with the film, and it got designed very beautifully by the people at Iconic, and I sent it out to 32 editors this time, and a lot of them are editors that I have spoken to on a regular basis, and they usually get back to me within a you know a few hours or a couple of days or whatever. Um, <clears throat> Not one single reply this time. <clears throat> that was about a week ago. Not one, eh? Not one saying, oh, that looks interesting, or not for us, thanks, or, you know, the usual thing. Um, and then, so I contacted one of them just yesterday about something else, and she replied immediately. And I still, by the way, did you see my press release? Tumbleweed again. Tumbleweed. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets in the background there, yeah. So it's almost like, I mean, I did meet up with a couple of editors after I sent it out to the 28 editors and I didn't get any immediate replies, <clears throat> a, few, a, few, a few weeks down the line, I did meet up with a couple of them and said, are you not allowed to publish this kind of stuff? And they said, of course we're allowed. What are you talking about? Bullshit. They honestly didn't seem to know that. Um, but then one of the editors also, I, we were chatting and I said, you know how Matt Hancock is really unpopular? And he, like, he said, is he? I you're, said, are you joking? You're kidding and he went, I said, this was only like June or something. And uh, he was like, I didn't know that. And I said, you're winding me up. And he's like, is he unpopular? And I was like, this is a news editor on a national newspaper. As unpopular as a fart in a spacesuit. Let's be honest yeah, about it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be really unpopular now. But do you know what? I'm so fed up of banging my head against these brick walls. I thought I was going to be a bit of a hero and get all these, um, these, uh, you know, stories that yeah. all these very difficult stories into the mainstream because my my aim was to get it to people who don't know about it. There's no point, you know. I was thinking there's no point going on the alternative no, uh, no. radio and, and, and news you. shows. Yeah. Um, I need to get on the mainstream, but I'm quite. I, I know I don't sound shy now, but when I first started doing it six months ago, I was really uncomfortable doing it, really self conscious, and I actually didn't want to be in in this documentary at all. But it was Jamie Icke's idea that I should be like a Louis Theroux type person, which I was like, no, don't make me do that. Yeah, but you're an excellent interviewer. Of course, it had to be you. But look, I, I said to you many years ago when we first met, I left the mainstream media because my managing director told me and my presenters that we couldn't report on a, 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 an incident an incidence of massive fraud in our city mm. where a well-known and very well-liked businessman was defrauded out of his yeah. property. And for reasons known only to him, our managing director said, no, you're not going on the air with that. 
And mm-hmm. my presenter, who also was the director of the of the company, went along with it. I eventually realised, I mean, that's just one thing, that I couldn't do the things I wanted to do in commercial radio. It's why I kind of retired from it very young before coming back to it. Look, you've had that realisation. You are one of the smartest people I know. You're smarter than I am. You realise now you're never going to get this into the mail or the telegraph. I know, but I'm such a dog with a bone. I know. I'm going to I'm gonna give it another go. And it's like, oh no. But Jackie, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll tell you this. Between iconic.com and folks, go to I-C-K-O-N-I-C if you haven't before. Between iconic.com and between here, you're, between this programme, there's no big-headedness here. This is a fact. Millions of people. There are millions of people listening to these programmes and watching mm. Gareth, Gareth Ike's programme. Why do you think the Daily Mail again today, Sky News last week, having a pop at this programme? Why? I mean, I don't give a damn. I'm like, you have thick skin. They wouldn't be having yeah. a go at it if there was nobody listening to it. No, I know. Exactly. So that's yeah, what you'll exactly. do. You'll make more programmes with Iconic.com. Um, yeah. you, you, you might do your own uh, podcast where, where you present and you interview people because of your experience. I mean, you're a gift to the independent media. A gift. I'm, I'm still a bit shy though, Richie. You are on me ass. <laughs> Like, just like I Gemma. I don't like. I really don't like being on screen. But this is not about me, is it? You're excellent, and it's, this is not. This is not the mutual appreciation society. Uh, th- <laughs> this year, this year, we, we Gemma Cooper uh, leaving mainstream media to come and work with uh, iconic. You're doing it yeah. now, and what that will do is one or two others will 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 follow. There's no doubt. So it's Gemma this year, it's yourself. Before too long, there'll be others. You know, Sue Cook has come on this program. She went on with Gareth. Yeah, they'll 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 follow Jackie because they have children and grandchildren as well, and they are sick to the fucking back teeth of watching their liberties being taken away, you know, being coerced into taking medicines they don't want, and they'll yeah. want to be talking about this on Good Morning Britain and on Loose Women, and they won't be allowed. Oh, well, I'm not having any of this. I'll do what Jackie Devine did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I am regularly uh, punished. Obviously, I've got my Twitter account suspended indefinitely. It got suspended in August. Um, they they're, they're not telling me how long for, but um, I had sixteen. I got sixteen thousand followers in two months, which I, even my kids were quite impressed with. Um, That's and then good. they all dis, were all um, dis, disappeared. Yeah, I don't get. I was just going to say, don't get too excited now about the Twitter <laughs> followings because they just delete your account, Jackie. I had, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands I had before they deleted my account. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Like sixteen thousand was a lot for yeah. me. It is a lot. It's a lot for anybody. Time. And uh, then um, yeah. Facebook unbanned. I see. I, I go back for a couple of days, and then they just say, "Oh, you said something we don't like again." And it could be anything now. Uh, yeah, it can be something that thousands of other people have shared. But as, as soon as I share it, it's like now you're banned again. They don't even give a reason, and they don't let you, um, you know, appeal or anything. Say sorry. No, not enough. Not enough fact checkers in the office today. So. You have to have your months um, yeah, on the naughty stair. So, um, Jackie, it's vaudeville. It's vaudeville. Do you want to hear this just briefly before you come back in? It's vaudeville, the censorship. Listen, yeah. I haven't put anything on YouTube for exactly a year. I'm not allowed. Now, I had a YouTube channel uh, three years ago that had over, it had over 100,000 subscribers and was getting millions of views um, per quarter. Millions, right? So they deleted that channel. So uh, six months after that, I opened another channel and that quickly got 40, 50,000 subscribers. Anyway, this is an email from YouTube to me today. This is fantastic. (laughs) Reggie, we wanted to let you know our team reviewed your content and we think it violates our hate speech policy. We know you may not have realised this was a violation of our policies, so we're not applying a strike to your channel. 
I can't upload anyway. They they basically banned me. But this is this is what makes me laugh. However, we have removed the following content from YouTube. Sunday view on richieallen.co.uk for March 3rd, 2019. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the fuck? What, what's They're going on? They're trawling back yeah, it's hilarious. to find something to get you for. And you know that, that Sunday View was a silly program. It was me reading the Sunday newspapers and, and yeah. taking the piss out of some of the stories and playing some clips and playing a couple of songs. There couldn't have been anything on that program that was hate speech against anyone. But yeah, look, this th- we have to forget. And for anybody else who's listening to this in Jackie's position, if you're a Fleet Street and, and a broad broadsheet writer, as Jackie has been for years, and you're listening to this, forget what we call the legacy media now. Forget about it. I mean, keep trying, keep banging your head like Jackie if you want, but eventually... Well, they don't even pay well anymore, anyway. No. They, well, they haven't paid well for decades. So it's, it is just a way... I, I can work a 40-hour week and earn no money. And I do that on a regular basis, you know, with the, with the mainstream. Yeah. I remember you telling because, me this in London years ago. I couldn't get over it, you know. Yeah, getting, even if yeah. you're commissioned to do stuff and they just go, oh, actually, do you know what? We don't want that anymore. Or they could sit on it for a few weeks or a few months if it's a magazine and then go, oh, it's a bit old news now, isn't it? It's like, yeah. yes, cause it wasn't when I wrote it. So, you know, it's really frustrating and uh, really, really hard to get by. And, and, you know, and you end up in all kinds of financial uh, difficulty if you, if you carry on working for them. So, you know, so I just when um, Jamie Icke suggested that we did a, a documentary, I just thought oh, maybe this maybe this is the way forward. It is the way, and I can tell you from personal experience, there is an enormous appetite for independent journalism more than ever. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you know what you're doing and you know what you're doing, your readers, or in the future for you, if it's listeners or viewers, they will support it. That's something you don't have to lose any sleep over. People will support it. When it's good and it's honest, they will support it. And Gareth will tell you that, Jamie will tell you that. Yeah, another journalist friend is doing quite well with a a Patreon account. So I set up that back in March, I think, feeling really guilty, thinking, oh no, someone's given me two pounds. I don't want them to give me two pounds. It's really horrible. And feeling really, really bad about it. And then um, I just kept censoring me and I thought, this is rubbish. This is worse than all the other platforms. So I just kind of gave up on it. Actually, I I owe that person two pounds. I must give it back to them. (laughs) I do. And so, um, but then suddenly out of the blue, about two months ago, I got um, an email from Patreon saying that that, that uh, they'd shut down my account because it was violating community guidelines. I hadn't touched it since March. You've done nothing with it. No, but you're a journalist who's asking <laughs> questions. You see, yeah, this is what happens. Pay- PayPal closed my account. But there might be a good story in that uh, because yeah. the financial ombudsman is investigating that on my behalf. I was going to say, I've never heard of a PayPal account being Oh, no, paid. it's happened before. Yeah, I think, I, think, mm. I think they did it to poor Tommy Robinson, God love him. Oh, I'm yeah. no, I'm no fan you of Tommy. A, a criminal or a crook or something. Isn't That's it? right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I'm no fan of Tommy, but I disagreed with it. At, Have you at been the robbing time. banks again, Richie? Me, <laughs> Robin. Do, do you know what it is? They, they, they don't give you any inclination as to what it's about, really. No. That's the thing, you know. So it's a case of like I've been with PayPal for many years, and bought bought stuff using PayPal and received support from listeners through PayPal for many, many years. I got an email four months ago, bang, that's it, you're gone, we're closing the account, we don't like you. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you appeal to them and say, look what's going on. No, you violated our usage terms. 
Well, well, which one? Tell me, and, and if I did, I'll promise not to do it again, and yeah. blah, 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 but but no, no, no. So I, I did something that I don't think anybody else has done. I got in yeah. touch with the financial ombudsman and said, I'm not putting up with it. Good. And they got back to me and said, well, yes, you, you may very well have a case. We'll, we'll, we'll get on it for you, and we'll, we'll try and get to the bottom of it. All I want is some acknowledgement by PayPal. I'd love to yeah. get an acknowledgement that somebody has gotten in touch with them to say, that guy is a hateful, baldy bastard and he doesn't like trans people or he doesn't like whatever. If we could just get that admission, you yeah. know, because that's what's coming anyway, Jackie. You know, the social credit system, your bank eventually will say, oh, I know. ah, Richie, we can't have an account with you. Why? Well, because you said that trans women are not women, but they're not. It's a guy with a cock. It's not a woman. <laughs> it can't be. Now, Richie, <laughs> that's it, you're gone. You're gone. We're not doing business with you. <laughs> Why have you have you got trannies tellers behind it? No, no, it's not that. We, we, you're just hateful, and that's where it's going. Yeah. It's mental, Jackie. Look, we've got three minutes left. I, I want to give a massive plug again to okay. a good yeah. death. It's a brand new documentary, brilliantly produced. Iconic.com. These are people I know very well. They know what they are doing. Uh, Jamie and Gareth. Uh, David obviously and there's a team there and Gemma Cooper is there now Jackie is yeah, there now A uh, Good Death is the film that uh, it might be horrible to watch it but watch it it might save your life or somebody else's well life. that's the thing that's what I'm, I'm hoping it'll do um, I meant to say quickly A Good Death um, why it's called A Good Death or A Good Death question mark um, is um, a euthanasia is, is, it comes from the Greek for um, good death which means an easy death, a happy death, you know, a natural death. Um, but when we when we heard uh, Hancock and Luke Evans talking um, in April last year, they're talking with that duping um, uh, delight, delight expression on both their faces, you know, thinking they were hilarious, talking in code. You know, for a good death, you need this, you need you need the equipment, you need the, the, the people to administer it, you need the drugs. Um, and they're talking to each other in a House of Commons um, uh, discussion. And um, and but basically, for, for a good death, for a natural death, you don't need anything. So they trip themselves up right there. Yeah. You know, what do you need for a natural good death yeah. dying in your sleep? You don't need people there. You don't need drugs and you don't need equipment and you don't need syringe drivers. So they trip themselves up there. So, yeah, so that that's why it's called a good death, question mark, because it's not a good death. It's a horrendous death. It's not good at all. The other interesting thing is that we're, we're holding the, the premiere in a very, very interesting place. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say where it is or not. I've probably got all the iconic people going, say, say, and all that. Don't say, don't say. Um, but you, you can reveal it later if I'm allowed, but I won't say it now. Yeah, just um, but in it's case, a yeah. very interesting, exciting place. And um, yeah, that, that could be a story in itself on Sunday. Well, I'll be plugging it all week anyway, tomorrow, obviously, and Thursday. Oh, thank you. And I'll be watching it on Sunday. I, I, yeah. Damn right, I'll be watching you can it. Watch, you can watch it for free on iconic.com all day on Sunday. And then if you want, you can sign up for a free seven day trial. So you can have a look at all the other amazing stuff on there. It's it's like a Netflix for like independent, uncensored. Yeah, there's some brilliant news content and, and series and stuff. So it's really good and lots of original films. So it's well worth having the signing up for free for seven days anyway, and then subscribing if you like what you see. Jackie, thanks for coming back on. I know you'll be back on again fairly soon. So okay. um, all the best for Sunday and congratulations on making the film and doing your job as a journalist. Thanks very much, Richie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. That's my friend Jackie Devoy. Do watch the film this Sunday. I'm telling you to watch it. It's a good death question mark. 
euthanasia? Is it going on in our hospitals? Are old people being bumped off to save the state billions of pounds in pension payments and in medical, you know, paying for their medical care? Is that going on? Is it possible? Well, Jackie Devoy believes it is possible. And she's made this film with the Iconic team. It's uh, going to be available on Iconic.com this coming Sunday, December 5th. Uh, presumably early in the morning it'll be on there you'll be able to watch it at your leisure and as Jackie said then if you feel like it after that you can sign up for a seven day no obligation trial to uh, watch the content of the channel Uh, because it is subscription iconic.com because it's high end stuff that's why people have to be paid and it's good stuff right thanks to Jackie and um, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it it'll be tough to watch it because You'll be you'll be hearing some horrible things from from the families who've gone through it. But um, yeah, thanks to Jackie, thanks to Doctor Paul Thomas who came on earlier on from Oregon. Very interesting gentleman indeed, the man uh, who uh, published a study in a renowned and, and highly regarded international journal, which said you know vaccinated kids don't do as well as unvaccinated kids in terms of their health outcomes. And they've come after him for that and suspended his licence. He can work at the moment, but he can't work with children and he can't uh, talk to people about vaccines. He was very good with Paul. I'm sure we'll hear from him again. That is it, uh, more or less, for today's programme. Do join me tomorrow, Wednesday, at 5 o'clock UK time. I haven't a Scooby-Doo who's booked in tomorrow. Uh, As is the style of the time, I never know. There's a diary over there, but I don't know who the hell is booked in. I'll be working on it anyway later on this evening and uh, throughout the day tomorrow. Stay in touch with richieallen.co.uk for stories and stuff and, and for chatting with other people on the website as well. What is there left for me to say? Nothing really other than enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Look after yourselves and one another. Mm-hmm.